yard touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is the breakdown right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you, as always, for being here with myself and at DT on SC. I am at TSN underscore Mars. Still, despite all the haters, uh, despite all of the uh, contractual obligations, still just holding on to that Twitter account. You never know, DT. Why not, right? What if someone else named Marshall or Marsh? <laughs> what if Tanner Marsh gets a job uh, analyzing games at TSN? He's going to have to come with the bajing bajing <laughs> to get that handle. Uh, my main concern, I think, is Dustin Nielsen's kid because his name is Marshall. And if Dusty keeps doing as much in broadcasting as he is, then I'm pretty sure his yep. son is going to take uh, his dad's job and TSN's going to want to have that family tree. And so I'm very concerned that Dustin Nielsen's son is about to try and uh, steal my Twitter handle for a second. If I leave it at all, he might end <laughs> up taking it. So I think I'll, I'll just hold it as a proprietary uh, part of my uh, my being for now, and then we'll see how it goes yeah. from there. Thank you, as always, for being here with us on the show. It's uh, great to catch up with DT week in, week out, right here on Wednesday mornings uh, for you in your feed, or Wednesday afternoons, Wednesday evenings, Thursdays, Saturdays. I've seen how you guys listen to the podcast. I've checked it out. It's uh, it's always fun to see. Sometimes you guys like to save the breakdown for like the long weekend drives, which I appreciate, too. So we got lots of stuff for you on CFP. Before I begin, I want to give a shout-out to our guys on All Canadian Tuesdays and Thursdays here on our network because... Connor and Wade had a great concept. They're always coming up with fun, creative stuff that I love. They had a great concept on yesterday's show on, uh, would have been June 22nd, uh, if you want to check that one out in the feed. And it was a Madden, basically franchise mode style pick them of, you get three players here, three players there, offense, defense, you got to pick a quarterback, you get a coach, and you get a franchise to run in U-sports. Uh, which I thought was super fun because those guys know their stuff. So if you're a U sports fan, or if you're a CFL fan, who's just excited that U sports football is coming back, uh, mm -hmm. make sure you're checking that out. I also saw the university of Saskatchewan signed an Oregon transfer. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I saw the, the tweet on that. Yeah. I don't know any of the details on it. I don't know the background or whatnot, but uh, that was pretty cool to be able to see. Yeah. Linebacker who's originally from Calgary, I guess yeah. he played two years at Oregon and redshirted one in the middle and just, decided uh, his name escapes me at the top of my head. I have to go to Google, but yeah, just went, uh, you know what? I'm coming back to you sports and I want to play for Scott Flory. Boom. Saskatchewan. Yeah. I love that. That is, it's encouraging to see that honestly, when guys play at a high level program, make their way back. Like I know Michael O'Connor didn't get much of a shot at Penn state, but when he came back and went to UBC, they won the Dan Vanier cup in 2015 right away. Yeah. And he was obviously surrounded by a bunch of other talent that certainly helped their case, but to see him come back and see the influence that he could make. I always love when I see those guys come back. I'm just flying through uh, the mentions here. I don't think I ended up favoriting the tweet, unfortunately, of it all. But, uh, man, there's a lot of F1 tweets in here I favorited over the weekend. That was a fun race. Uh, <laughs> but, anyways, uh, let's get into some of the news of the day because, uh, man, the, the stuff that's bouncing around on the Twitter timeline for us as we're recording this on Tuesday is the retirement CT. And you just finished up the sports cage yeah. There's just retirements flying around left, right, center. It can be Canadian, American, global. It can be uh, defensive back, offensive line. I mean, it's 
there's a little bit of everything and we're still not really that close to training camp. I know everyone's getting excited. I know we're 40 some odd days away from kickoff. I understand the training camps are, we keep saying just around the corner, just around. But for me, training camp is yeah. just around the corner when we're like the week leading up. We're still two weeks away from the week leading up to training camp at this point. And we're already seeing these announcements come out. And I find that to be intriguing because if this is what we're getting off the start, I wonder what we get near the end of the official off season or what we get at the start of training camp a couple of days in, because even in a normal year, we're bound to get a couple of guys here and there across the league that are bigger names who either the get cut or decide to retire, go onto the retired list, don't want to play this year, whatever it might be. We get that at the start of training camps, a couple of days in when they realize, Ooh, yeah, you know what? This isn't for me. And at the end of training camps, when they're either actually retiring or they're going to get cut and the team has enough respect for them where they say, Hey, just so you know, we're not going to keep you here. And they say, okay, can I control my, my exit story from professional football here? So what we're getting yeah. here tells me that it might be an avalanche of this stuff in three, four weeks. Well, and early part, this early part of it, it's a lot of Canadian bodies. There are a lot of Canadians. Montreal yeah. announced something like six of them on Wednesday, all Canadians. And you go, Natea J uh, in that. Taylor Loeffler came out later from TSN's Farhan Logics. I think it was seven and just all Canadians. And I thought, oh, I wonder if this is guys with some experience, but getting shoved out by the fact there's a double draft class. Yep. And this year is different because you get to bring 100 guys to camp, not 100 guys plus your non-counting draft picks, 100 guys. So I started to think, oh, this, this might be an effect of the double draft class. The riders saw Braden Schramm announce, uh, or at least it came across the wire, yep. his retirement on Monday. And you go, well, Shram, Shram would have had some interest around the league, if not, not as a starter necessarily, but as a depth guy. But uh, he's, he's moving on. It, right off the bat, there's some big name Americans and some guys who I really think would have had impact this year. But a lot of Canadians getting ushered out, for lack yeah. of a better term. Yeah, for me, the one that jumped out in terms of Canadians was, I mean, Braden Shram was one because I thought he was a really solid player when he was in University of Calgary. And I, I looked at, what Saskatchewan was going to do with the offensive line. I saw your tweet where you said it was a holy bleep moment because you're going there. He carved out a spot for himself. I mean, and this is the thing. It's, man, yeah. it's not guys that are niche and edge of the roster or practice roster. It's guys that have an opportunity to play and make money and, and live out their football dreams. But that being said, it's also the idea that our value systems, I think, have changed a little bit in the last year and a half for a lot of guys. Um, the way that you have to try and support your family has changed because there might have not been the amount of money available for you doing other things. It's not impossible to replace $65,000 as a minimum salary either if you're doing a decent job and you're working, you know, five days a week otherwise. So there's a lot of factors that go into this, I think, that's leading to the early days of it. But for those Canadian guys, um, outside of Braden Shram, the other one that jumped in, I mean, Natea Jay, I just, I love the dude. I know you do too. He's He's genuine. He's fun. He's charismatic. He's going to be great at whatever he does going forward, uh, assuming yeah. that he doesn't end up actually coming back at any point. But I would have liked to have seen him in, in Montreal get a bit of a run, but they're a pretty stacked receiving room as well. So he would have been in tough to get enough you know, targets and reps and all the rest to, uh, to really bring some production there. Uh, even though I do think he's a good player, it's just that was it's a tough squeeze. It's a tough room. I think people underrate Montreal's receiving group as it stands right now. And Taylor Loeffler. And Loeffler is yeah. not... 
Loeffler is not one that would have been unpredictable. I mean, it's, you never want to predict the end of people's careers. Uh, you know, I'm not into doing a show here where we say, who are the 10 players that DT and Marsh think are going to retire? Uh, <laughs> but if I were to look at the elements surrounding Taylor Loeffler, the relative lack, and again, I use the term relative uh, because everything in free agency is relative, but the relative lack of interest seemed like in free agency for a guy last couple of years uh, when he was in, I forget if he was in an 18 or 19 or whatnot, but when, when he was in Winnipeg, his rookie year, just sensational, like just downhill carved out a playing style for himself, a unique, long, just strong, come down into the box, make plays on big body running backs. The coverage stuff wasn't always there for Taylor, but the body and the style of play he carved out a role. And I, th- I think that's so great for Canadian guys. I really do. He was always a fun interview too, again, which I have a bit of soft spot for those guys because it's great to be yeah. able to chat with a player. You know, I remember doing a sit down with him at CFL week, I think in Winnipeg in 2017 or 18. And he came in with cowboy hat on and cowboy boots on. And he was just so happy to be in the limelight and be having fun and talking football. And, uh, and so to see him go to Montreal and then bounce around a little bit, get some reps here and there, and then what, what was really, really weird to me at the end of his career, and I hate to say this, but this is going to be one of the things I'll remember about Taylor Loeffler, the football player. I thought he tore up his knee the week before he actually tore up his knee. And I don't know if you know what I'm okay. talking about, DT, but I remember watching a game in my, I got like butterflies in the stomach just thinking about it because I remember watching it and thinking to myself, that's a career ending knee injury. And they did the MRIs and the checkovers, whatever, in Montreal, apparently, and he was okay. And then the next week out, he actually tore his ACL. Now, I'm not saying the two are connected. I'm just saying it was one of the weirdest ends to a guy's career, now that we know it's the end of his career as he's retired, that I can remember in the last five years, where you think somebody's done, and then the next week they're actually done, and then their career is done, all within a weirdly spaced out a different dimension of time because that's what the pandemic has done to all of us. But yeah, those Canadian guys, they're getting squeezed. I think a little bit, the draft class is a great point that you make. Cause I hadn't really thought about the double draft class, but there's a lot of young motivated talent coming in. That's got more recent playing experience. Yeah. And guys who, I mean, younger is cheaper, might be better. And, and let's, let's move them around. I mean, from the riders perspective, uh, you, they lose Braden Schramm, but you go, Oh, well, they actually drafted Logan Bandy in 21 and Matt Riley in the first round of 2020. Yeah. We probably want to see what those guys are about while, while, while we have them. The one that really stuck out for me and uh, Corey Tyndall on Monday, I was like, wow, really? Yeah. Ottawa lost another one. But Derek Dennis is one that, that caught me. And I think it caught a lot of people today. He tweeted something on Sunday that essentially said no other offensive tackle gets played around with like I do. Uh, but I still made the all decade team and he was very clearly mad. And I thought, Oh, is something going on behind the scenes? Did Edmonton ask him something about his contract or whatever? So uh, we talked to him today on the show and he said, yeah, you know, I just, I'm not in a position with two young kids and a wife who's got a good career to go back up to Canada again. I'm here in Arizona. And I, I, because I know Derek a little bit, I, I made the uncomfortable thing about, can you make enough money, right? Because yeah. Derek Dennis is most outstanding offensive lineman, all-star in the West, three of the last four seasons, Grey Cup champion. I have a picture in my mind of what the guy must get paid. I don't know for sure. Uh, we're all still working on that, but I don't know for sure. But I'm like, can you make that money in the, in the open market in your career path? And he's like, yeah. 
and he didn't say I'm making that right now or I'm doing better than that now, but that that's possible for him at about to be 33 years old with two young kids. Uh, one, he just got to see the birth of his son back last March. You go, oh, okay, I, I get it. So not retired, but he's ready to play maybe, but it sounds like he might be into the next phase of his life. And when Edmonton was stacked with offensive linemen, both left and right tackles, I thought, well, Dennis is the, Dennis is the leader of the show here. But maybe, uh, maybe they feel like, okay, well, we have Sir Vincent Rogers too. So if, we, if Dennis has to not play this year and who knows what 22 brings, eh, we might be okay. But yeah, to, I wonder. to lose Derek Dennis is rough. It's so tough for those guys to come back after such a long time off going into this year. I, I have a hard yeah. time imagining that somebody like Derek Dennis will be able to get back into football shape, ready to go up and running and be effective in 2022 or 23. So I, I agree with you. I think he's still probably quietly open to playing in his mind. I mean, hell, like some guys say they're retired and we all know they're not retired. And I'm not saying that Derek Dennis is in that category, but like we just saw that with James Wilder Jr. Where he said oh, he yeah. was retired. He acted like he was retired. And we all said, bullshit there's no way we know you're not you you don't look like that and play like that and talk the type of smack that James Wilder Jr. does and then see him not come back onto a playing field so when he yeah. ended up making the announcement with Edmonton we all said it free agency we're like okay we didn't know where he was going to land necessarily but yeah I mean it, it all kind of makes sense if Derek Dennis were to come back and they were to announce hey we've traded him for a negotiationless player to uh you know Calgary yeah. If they were to announce that, you and I would just look at each other on this podcast and go, yes, okay, he's back. Like, it, it totally makes sense for him to still be in. So, again, it's I hate to, to act like I say, you know, people are lying. I don't think it's that they're lying. I just think that there's a lot of emotional decisions being made right now, and there's a lot of teams that are up against it that are trying to figure out what the best path forward is. And that combination is creating this where either Canadians are getting squeezed, they're retiring, or Americans are getting told, hey, we don't value you the way that you value you. Yeah. And the more that that happens, the more retirements we will see certainly going into training. I just wonder, I genuinely wonder this because at this point, I still think the biggest name that's dropped is Bryant Mitchell. Like, and I, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it just in terms of impact that could be made. And my question, it's an impossible question, so it's unfair to pose it to you, but just to the listeners out there is do you think there will be a more impactful player that retires? before we kick off on start of August than Bryant Mitchell? Because I do. I do think there will be a name bigger. I think it will be somebody really? who's, who's in the league. I genuinely think, and I'm not saying the whole league is going to retire and the, the game is going to collapse and you're not going to know anybody on the field, but I'm telling you, man, this the pandemic has changed people. It really has. And I just can't imagine every single big name that we know going into the season saying, yeah, my body mm. feels amazing. There's going to be some guys that are going to feel better than ever, stronger than ever, smarter than ever, been studying the game. There's going to be other guys that are smarter than ever, but maybe they need some time to get their bodies up in shape. And I genuinely think there's going to be some guys who are going to show up and go, what am I doing? <laughs> like I've been, I've been trying to stay in shape for so long and I'm here and it's just not happening. Like the, all of a sudden the wheels are not clicking and, and I don't know if it's going to be a receiver whose legs aren't under him, or if it's a linebacker who gets back into contact and starts thinking about his long-term health. And it's like, do I really need to be doing this? It's, I don't know if it's going to be health surrounded, if it's going to be about money, if it's going to be about depth chart decisions, but there's so many variables going into a long 21 day training camp period 
that I just mm-hmm. have a hard time believing that we're going to come out of this and be like, yeah, there was 20 guys that retired and every team can make up for all of them. I have no clue who it's going to be. I just, I feel like it's going to come one day. And when it does, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised if they're not yeah. looking at all the factors that are really affecting players and teams right now going into the season. When you're talking about better than Bryant Mitchell, a guy who I would have thought would be a top seven receiver in the CFL, you're talking about a star in this league. So you expect a star is going to fall. Like I, a star is the yeah. I'm, I'm going home. I'd rather not. To me, yes. it's, I think you're going to have somebody who is a, a household name who most, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be, uh, you know, for example, Shrod Baltimore. We just talked about Corey Tyndall. If Shrod Baltimore retires in Ottawa for some reason, I'm just picking him as a random name because I saw it come across the timeline today for something else. If he were to retire, we would all go, well, wow, okay, he, was, he did some stuff pretty decent player, but it's, it's not going to have anybody shaking in their boots and Ottawa's going to go, yeah. wow, man, another piece, but we can probably make up for it. If you were to have, uh, you know, the first name that comes to mind is Greg Ellingson, just because I think he's an impact player. I know Greg is not retiring, uh, no, but out of but my I, cold dead hand. You yeah. That guy out of <laughs> yeah. The yeah. But I mean, <laughs> and this is the crazy thing. And again, I, I don't think this is going to happen, but I'm just throwing out the theory here of if we believe that that there is going to be one or two really impactful players that are going to retire. Just imagine if for some reason, Mike Riley showed up to camp and was like, you know what I mean? But that's what I'm saying is that, but that's where I think people's minds need to be is, is that it, I'm not saying Mike Riley is going to, I'm not saying Greg Ellingson is going to, but I'm saying those types of players that are in the league. Like if you take the, the top five players from all nine teams, a 45 player pool. I feel like one or two of them are going to say goodbye. And that might seem crazy, but I just, I just feel like this is such an unprecedented. And again, if I'm super wrong on this, I'm happy about it because I don't want those guys leaving the game that we all know they're top five players on their franchises. But I do imagine there's some conversations being had right now between spouses and husbands. And are you, are we good? Are you going to do this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets there and he's a week in training camp. And it, I, the hardest thing is too, because Derek, you've talked to enough guys who retire and the way that they go about this is a lot of the time, as soon as the seed of doubt creeps in, that's a really, really bad sign. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of those walls that guys are going to hit in a training camp, whether you're a rookie or a vet that you're going to get to and you know, first day, second day. Okay. They're ramping us up. It's pretty slow. All of a sudden, boom, first day that we're in helmets. Okay. Wow. I had a really bad day. And the thing about training yeah. camps is. When you go back to your room, and uh, for example, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, they're not at McMaster this year. Usually they'd go back to their res rooms and their dining halls. And, but this year, because of COVID, they're staying at a hotel in downtown Hamilton. If you go back to your room and you are Brandon Banks and you had an awful couple of days, do you ride that out and you're like, I'm still Speedy B, I can still, and again, I'm, I, I don't think Brandon's going to be bad. I feel like I have to preface all these. But the idea that when you go back to your room, you are still kind of isolated. Like even though the season's getting going, you're still kind of isolated and you are going to be thinking about, wow, okay, today wasn't a good day. Tomorrow I'll make it better. Well, what if the next day isn't good and the third day is worse and the fourth day you don't improve and the fifth day, all of a sudden there's some different people taking reps. And then the sixth and seventh day, you start to get a sense that, oh, I'm a veteran making a lot of money. Maybe this team is interested in cutting like that. We haven't even talked about that. The idea of the late training camp cuts for teams they can find more value in different places and then replace you with younger, cheaper talent. Uh, I mean, it's the possibilities on roster movement 
as we get close to kickoff are endless. And I think the retirements are going to play into that, but also the teams, man, the teams and the rosters. I saw a quote from Kyle Walters saying that because they won the Grey Cup in Winnipeg, the pressure is off externally, but there's more pressure internally because they have a ton to do. They have a crazy to-do list over the next month and a half to get ready for the season. And I mean, the transactions are a huge part of that to-do list for them and everybody else. All right. I, I'm going to pull out some names and I'm going to throw them at you. <laughs> what I want you to do is pretend you're a fan of that team yep. and tell me how bad a gut punch this would be. Okay. Ready? I'm going to do this on a scale of uh, zero to 10. Okay. Uh, and just to, just to preface this, this is not based in fact whatsoever, <laughs> but can you imagine if this guy decided to retire? Okay. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue, uh, this would be like uh, July 13th. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have announced the retirement of tackle Stanley Bryant. Cool. <laughs> it's, uh, for anybody who knows how good he is, that's a 10. That, that is a 10. The Toronto Argos announced the retirement of Devaris Daniels. Oh, wow. That, that, that would, yeah, that would hurt. But I think their receiving group is diverse enough now with Rogers yeah. and Briscase and all the rest. That would be like a, that'd be a, a six or a seven. Uh, this is, and I'm just going to go backwards in alphabetical order here. Saskatchewan Rough Riders announced Ed Gainey's retirement. Ooh, that's an eight. Ouch. That's a, that's an ouch. That is absolutely an ouch. Ottawa. I'll just skip on from Ottawa. The noise I actually wondered about is, hmm. and I find this to be funny is what if Sinopoli were to retire? I think everybody'd be like, wow. Yeah. You've done a lot. Like we did not expect <laughs> you to be a receiver for this. It might be like a zero because they'd be like, we're so disappointed but we're going to love you forever. And you're always one of ours. Like it would not even really hurt people. So they'd be like, I hate, we don't get to watch you anymore, but we still love you so much. And you're not really going anywhere. That's a really unique place that Brad Snopley has carved out. Like, I don't know if there's another person in the league who could retire and nobody would be upset or angry that has the stature that he does in his team. Even if, you know, because he's carved out that like hometown hero type vibe, even though I know he's Peterborough, he played the university of Ottawa and all the rest, but yeah. When I when I think of him, it's like he would be on a different planet in terms of fan reaction to most of these big names we're talking about. Uh, I'm just going to Google up just to make sure uh, because Chad Jeter just retired from the Riders. He is going. He wants to be something like FBI, CIA, or Secret Service. So he's joining the Air Force. Crazy. And I go, what if the Montreal Alouettes announced that Nick Usher was retiring? Mm. A yeah. guy who was so impactful, and you thought, oh, that, that's really going to help that defensive line that did nothing last year. Oh, that yeah. one. Big that free one agent stinks. signing for them. Like, that that would absolutely stink for them. Here's one for you from Hamilton that I, I – I, just in terms of putting your team in a bad situation, Riker Matthews is gone. What if Chris oh. Van Zyl gets to training camp and he's like, my body's just not in the right place? And, again, I, I think yep. his body is. He seems like he's in a great space and all the rest, but – if he were to get to training camp and say, I don't know, I don't think I could do it. Or if Filer were to get to training camp and say, I don't know. I, All of a sudden, you've got this juggling on the Ticats offensive line that has been so stable for the last two, three years. Well, and Van Zyl is, is one of the ones I was going to bring up because now they'd have to figure out what they're going to do with the ratio. Yeah. Right Right tackles like Chris Van Zyl are not around. So that would that would crush... Um, uh, Edmonton again, you can have Greg Ellingson when you prime out of my cold dead hand. Um, <laughs> yeah, See, the formula that I usually look for is slightly older guy whose body might not respond the way he wants it to, even if he's been training a bunch. Once he actually gets out on a football field, 
who has other opportunities in front of him. And usually the family card gets played in that equation as well. So without knowing everybody's personal history and employment history over the last year and a half, it's hard to to play that game. But if you do the research on it, that usually that combination of factors tends to, it's not usually the 22 year old guy who's fresh into the league, who doesn't have a fiance kids and doesn't have any job planned. It's like that guy is willing to scrap on special teams for the next five years. But it's usually like even you know, Kalaros got married not that long ago. What if Zach was like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of concussions and oh. I, I kind of have a wife. So Winnipeg, I really appreciate it. I hate to do the Darian Durant to you, but I got to go. I got to like, I got other stuff that I want to accomplish. I want to move back down to Steubenville or something. And I want to, you know, <laughs> I know he, he lives outside Toronto now with his wife, I believe. But um, yeah. yeah, the idea of a quarterback pulling the plug like on any of the teams a starting quarterback would just everybody would get to two weeks before kickoff and you'd be like sorry what and at the yeah. entire league would just pause and go okay what do they do at that point oh knock on toronto's door and go is mcleod available because because yes. we could use him over here yeah i i'm with you that many more of these are coming uh by design or because teams kind of usher them out and yeah i I kind of feel for for every one of them for the reasons you mentioned. So yeah. it's, it's it's a sad day, and then we we lose the opportunity as fans to see these guys. Corey Tyndall was going to be a real nice piece uh, of an under talented team in Ottawa. He was going to be one of the elite guys there, and now another piece of the Red Blacks falls away. So uh, when we get to our one big guarantees. Uh, Yes. I, I had trouble guaranteeing something that was positive for the Red Blacks because I just, apart from their great <laughs> coaching staff, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it is tough. Uh, yeah, so that's, I think that's going to play into, uh, you know, my one big guarantee for the Canadian Football League is that we're going to see some craziness uh, over the next yeah. month and a little bit. And Agreed. as much as you guys out there love the action, let's be real, you also love the transaction. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who will be glued to their timelines over the next while trying to see exactly where this all goes. I don't cheer for anything other than chaos at times, but this type of chaos, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of this type of chaos because I, I do think that there's lives that are being changed on a day-to-day basis right now of how things are going to shake out. And hey, there'll be some positives to this stuff too, right? Like we can't forget when a player retires or leaves, somebody else gets an opportunity. So there's going to be a lot of new names. I think we're going to be learning this year and, uh, and I'm looking forward to it, albeit on difficult circumstances, but you did bring up uh, one big guarantee on this bad boy. Last week, we were talking all about one big question we had for every team. And that was uh, just fun to throw around things that we really didn't have answers to, you know, what's the, what's this going to look like? How's this offense going to feel? Who's going to play in this secondary spot? What are they going to do at free safety? Who's the return man, whatever it was. You can go back and check out that episode of the breakdown from last week because we had a lot of fun with it. But this week, I wanted to flip the tables on this and just be cocky analyst guys uh, and just say one big guarantee. And there's going to be nine guarantees for each of us, 18 guarantees total. I kind of sort of hope that half of them are just so wrong that I get to clip these and play them back about <laughs> yeah. the uh, the three-quarter poll of the season in t- 2021 and say, here was our one big guarantee that this person was going to lead the league in rushing. And he's like fully healthy, played every game, and he's 14th in the league or something like that. But uh, but yeah, let's dive into one big guarantee. As always, I'll let you lead the proceedings here, DT, because uh, you, last week, going through these teams and bouncing around doing the East into the West, uh, it was super fun to think about things that we didn't understand. And this week, I want to lean in on the stuff that we've studied, the things that we feel like we really, truly, genuinely understand and expect in what is a very unexpected season coming up. 
Yeah, I, I have two or three that are going to make me look silly for sure as we go along here, <laughs> but I'm guaranteeing you they will happen until they don't happen. Yeah. Uh, let's go alphabetically this week. I okay. want to start with the BC Lions. Marshall, what's your one big guarantee for the BC Lions? Brian Burnham leads the CFL in receiving yards. Uh, that is my one big guarantee. Okay. Now, there's going to be, I think, a lot of, of receivers that will be able to push for this, and uh, I'm not sure whether or not it's going to be Addison or Banks, where I am in Hamilton, but I think Shaq Evans has got a very good chance at it based on everything we've seen and heard from him and Fajardo's relationship. I think if you're looking at Edmonton, Greg Ellingson is going to have a great shot now that he's working opposite Thoreau Walker. I think that you've got guys in Montreal who could take a run at that, depending on how Vernon Jr. plays, but you need a quarterback who's going to take vertical shots to lead the league in, in receiving. You need somebody who can make spectacular catches, and you need a team that protects their quarterback long enough to allow you to beat coverage. The yep. last one is the concern, obviously, for BC, because there hasn't been a ton of overhaul in the offensive line, but I have faith that their number one priority this entire season is to protect Mike Riley. I mean, it's not Everybody there is wrong. It has to be your number one concern. It, it's it's the thing that makes you go offensively. They need to protect him. And if they focus in on that, Brian Burnham gets open. He just does. Like, And he makes great catches even when he's not open. So if Riley's going to keep slinging it, if Burnham's going to keep being the primary guy, he's entering the prime of his career if he's not already in the middle of it. I think he will lead the league in receiving yardage this year. I think that Riley will be up near the top three in terms of uh, uh, passing yardage this year. Oh, whether yeah. or not whether or not that leads to BC winning a whole hell of a lot of games, I'm not sure. But that also might help the passing and receiving yardage totals for those guys because if they're down in games, they're just going to keep slinging it. So that's why I believe Burnham can lead the league in receiving yards. Uh, the top receivers in deep targets in 2019 were Brandon Banks, Darrell Walker. Three was Dominic Rimes. Four was Brian Burnham. Two guys that now play the boundary side for BC absolutely get them open and honestly that melds right into my one big guarantee is that bc will not allow pressure on 31 percent of dropbacks again this year they were so rough uh they were second worst in the league by they this much better than than toronto uh last time out just relentlessly sacked rally on pass well their quarterbacks pardon me were, were sacked 54 times on passing plays a nine percent rate is untenable so yes. they're going to fix that. They fixed. I mean, they have personnel, right? You mentioned Riker Matthews. They'll be more solid in the interior if all those guys are healthy. Uh, and I mean, some of this is based on if they are healthy. Riley was not under pressure last time out. Was was number four? Well, I guess let's say number four based on attempts in passer rating when he was not under pressure. And that was with a system that I'm not in any way convinced was set up for him to succeed. It's going to be set up for him to succeed this year. They have the targets. They have, I mean, Lamar Durant will be back healthy on that field side. Shaq Johnson says, I'm the best Canadian receiver I in saw the league. That. Yeah, that was, they'll be able to uh, run the football, but they're going to solve their problems because I don't think their problems were all personnel when it came to allowing pressure. I think they involved route concepts and what was happening there. BC will not be pressured like that again. And thus, Riley will get a chance to make Burnham the top receiver in the league. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next up here, I'm assuming that we are going Calgary. Uh, and if we are indeed, yes. then I was uh, I was going to lean extremely Canadian take here, which is that Fraser Sopic will be at or near the CFL lead in special teams tackles. Uh, but I'll go with another Canadian topic for you. And that's that I believe uh, they will lead the league 
in Canadian receiving yards, reception, start, whatever you want. Really? The combi- yeah, I, and I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek because they led the league just hand over fist with rookie receiving by Canadians in 2019. But I think that showed a sign of things to come for them, where I think they're going to lean a little bit more on the Canadians. Now, I understand they've got Ambles in there, correct? They've got Huff. They've, they're going to have some of those guys, and they're going to get all their targets. Yeah, Kamara is going to be a big part of that, obviously. But um, when I think of kind of Canadian receiving tandems, there are some good ones across the league, but there's not a lot of guys who are in there in, in two packs, right? And I think that might be the secret. I don't know if Colton Hunchak is actually going to turn into a super productive player, but he feels like the type of player that gets taken with the last pick of the draft by Calgary, who we all look back at in 10 years ago. Why the hell was he the last pick and why did Calgary get him? So if Colton Hunchak is going to turn into somebody, Herjie Mayall is a dude. Like to me, yes. Herjie has great, great ability and speed and, and open coverage. He can break free from man. He can separate. He can sit. He has a little bit of everything. And that's why I think those two guys together mixed in with some of the other lesser known names that they have. Um, they could, and again, I'm saying this very sheepishly, but it's a guarantee. I think they will lead the league in terms of Canadian combined receiving. Oh, over BC, which will run Katoy, Durant, and Johnson. Yeah, and again, Although, they were the they were the one that I struggled with because yeah. those guys are going to get their shots. But if what I'm saying about Brian Burnham is true, I think Burnham gets such an overwhelming workload that yeah. I mean, I like I like that trio that you just mentioned, but. <laughs> to me, it's like they're all going to get how many passes in a given year. If they all stay healthy, which probably isn't going to happen, if they're all getting real playing time and all the rest, are they going to end up getting more than Herjie Maiella if he turns into one of the Canadian receiving stars in this league? Because I, they tend to, in Calgary, try to find one to really push forward. And if Colton Hunchak's subbing in for somebody and getting equal catches to uh, Lamar Durant for some reason, again, I know that seems like a stretch because different body types, different playing styles, different positions. But yeah, I, I see that as being the main challenger, but I do like Calgary to try and get that done. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, my one big guarantee for Calgary is that their offensive defensive lines will be the thing that undoes them this season. Uh, I will not pick them anywhere near first place, though. I, I fully understand that Bo by Mitchell is phenomenal and they have a Kamar Jordan and, 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 but their offense and defensive lines there's only so many times you can lose so many players, right? You, uh, Combray Williams, Neela Cassatati are your starting tackles. You're replacing both your guards. Sean McEwen, fantastic import at center to bring in at center. But who they start at one end, I've never heard of. The other one is Falerin Arimolade, who got hurt in preseason in 2019 when he was going to bust out. So do we really know what that's all about? Derek Wigan, yes. And I, I like Mike Rose a lot, but I don't know that they're getting pressure off the edge and their offensive line. There could be a lot of Bo Levi Mitchell throwaways, honestly, just, just <laughs> looking at this. And I know coaching is fantastic. Calgary may have the best roster of coaches in the CFL. I get it. But if I'm going to dock a team like Ottawa for being under-talented, I'm going to have to dock a team like Calgary for appearing under-talented on the offense and defensive line. Uh, and I probably should have made my one big guarantee for Calgary then that at some point, Bo Levi Mitchell will scramble on a called pass play because if he's <laughs> under pressure, you just mentioned there's going to be a ton of throwaways and you are not wrong. But at some point in the year, Bo's going to have to take off and show us he knows how to slide. 
Uh, and that might be the most anticipated first down of 2021. Can you imagine? Or, or he just gets a, does a halftime interview with Shinidi. He's like, Bo, don't slide. Bo, don't slide. <laughs> uh, he just I, runs I, it into the, into the I, corner. I have a hard time imagining him sliding. That's the thing. Like I, Because when you see Bo once in a lifetime take off and run, yeah. Tends to tends to get to the sideline, or he gets to you know a certain yardage and dives forward and gets down. And but it's the idea of him like smoothly sliding. That's not something that quarterbacks practice, especially not quarterbacks that run. Like if Vernon Adams Jr. were to show you how he slide, how he slid, you would think he was sliding into second base stealing. Like he's just smooth and athletic, and and Bo is some of those things, but doesn't usually show it off or work on very much. I'm sure. So uh, yeah, the Bo Levi Mitchell scramble and slide highly anticipated going into this year, Edmonton. I love it. Uh, we got next up here. I'm going to say because of the history of Jamie Elizondo and Trevor Harris, three receivers over a thousand yards. That is my guarantee for the Edmonton Elks. And that's going to be Greg Ellingson, Darrell yeah. Walker, of course, Armand Yet. Uh, I yeah, think that those, sense. those are going to be the Not three guys. Smith. No, I, th- I think Tavon might get up around five, six, somewhere in there. I think that he'll be kind of the push. The secret sauce to having the 4,000-yard receivers in Ottawa was Snopley, right? Because otherwise, it was just going to be Ernest Jackson, Greg Ellingson, and uh, Chris Williams. Chris Williams. Yeah, so Snopley should not have been over 1,000 yards receiving. Let's be real. Like, that's not really a 1,000-yard type of guy, but he got there, and when he did, that's how they broke that code. So I think if you're going to get the four, Tavon would be the fourth but I don't see him getting there. I do think Greg is a lock for a thousand. I do think that yep. Durrell, Durrell is a, a lock wow. for a thousand. And then my question becomes, is Armonti going to get enough yak yards or is he going to get enough vertical push throughout the longevity of the season to be, but you know that Armonti Edwards is good for like a weird 93 yard touchdown or something like that. Right? Like he's just that dude where he does things on the football field that make you go, huh? Yeah. Really good athlete. No wonder he's been around for so long up here doing his thing. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that a lot because Trevor Harris is going to, whatever the equivalent of 650 passes in an 18-game season, he's going to throw the ball that much in this 14-game yep. season. Uh, my one big guarantee for Edmonton is that they're going to make the biggest jump record-wise in mm. the CFL. And we're comparing 18 games to 14 games. And yes, Toronto, which looks like they'll improve, did win only four games versus Edmonton's eight last year. But Edmonton just... Even losing Derek Dennis looks so much better than they did last year. Coaching, question mark, because what does a Jamie Elizondo head coach team look like? I don't know, because who who knows? But they've added so much talent from street free agents to CFL free agents, and they had so much talent to begin with. And they are Darrell Walker to that receiving core and that offense. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Offense wins championships. Offense wins games in the CFL. And to me, Edmonton will make the biggest jump record-wise. Part of that is because Toronto's schedule is brutal. (laughs) Toronto got absolutely hosed by whatever man, woman, or computer made up the schedule. Four against Hamilton and two against Winnipeg? Come on. We're trying to win this thing. And you stick us with the best team in the league four times? So Edmonton will make the biggest jump in record this year. I uh, I like that, and I also loved Pinball's comments on the schedule. I believe he said that they were politely challenged. Uh, is what okay. the Ar- is what the Argonauts well are, go- are going with. So yeah, Pinball took that one in stride, but still made a comment about it, which I thought was interesting. Uh, next up here, let's go to uh, Toronto's rivals, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. My and I don't want to steal one of your your locks here, your guarantees, DT, as I throw these ones around. But the yeah. one that the one that I kind of wanted to go with 
was that they're going to miss Delvin bro. Like that was the a big part of this to me was at some, and I know that they can Frankie Williams, Jamal roll name. We don't know yet. Move carrier Brooks to whatever you end up doing there. There's going to be somebody who's going to play in that spot. It's not going to be empty. It's not going to be a void. They're going to find a good player. They're going to put them in. They're not going to be Delvin bro. That's just the reality of this. So for me, that's, that's kind of the first one that jumped up to me. And then I started thinking, and I obviously we got to do an episode on the Masoli Evans thing and just throw all the numbers in the world at you from 2019, just to give people a really good insight going into camp or even in the middle of camp about, yeah. about what that battle is really about. But for me, my guarantee for the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 2021, Masoli starts. And the reason that I say that, love Dane Evans' game, love Masoli's game, right? It's not about liking somebody more than another. I know there's a, there's a heated debate in Hamilton about style of play and future of the organization and Masoli throws the bad interceptions in the playoffs and all, whatever. Okay. Dane threw some bad interceptions too. Oh, this stuff happens. Game. Yeah. So it's every game you a pick really. when I, but when I look at this, Orlando Steinauer, he can say that it's a wide open competition, but if all things are equal, if they're even remotely close to being equal, Orlando is a super principled guy, super principled, like handed down from generations of football coaches of the past. He, he has so much respect for players, and it's why they love him, honestly. And because he has so much respect for players, he was the defensive coordinator for the Tiger Cats when Jeremiah Masoli was like a third, fourth string practice roster type guy who nobody thought was going to turn into anything. It was just a throw in with Simone in the trade from Edmonton. And he's seen him take the reins when he wasn't around, by the way, take the reins, go with June Jones, turn himself really into something that Jeremiah has always known he can do what he's done. But to turn himself into that and to try and lead the team and then to have his ACL get torn, non-contact, they believe, obviously, in Dane. They know what they have in Dane. They're extremely fortunate to have Dane. He'll get a look. He'll get every opportunity. But I got to believe that if all things are relatively equal, that they're going to lean Jeremiah in that decision because he was the starter previously, because he has more CFL experience, and because I don't think Orlando Steinauer, and I don't think he'll ever say this, I just don't think Orlando Steinauer wants to see Jeremiah Masoli tear his knee, watch them get crushed in a gray cup from the sidelines, and then not start the following time that they get to hit the field. I, I don't think Orlando will allow that, and I think that he doesn't play favorites either, but I think he would lean naturally because of his demeanor towards seeing Jeremiah. I, again, I might be completely wrong on this one. Dane might come in, blow it away. Jeremiah might not look as good as we think he's going to. And yeah. you could make the argument that because he's such a player's coach that Orlando Steinauer would lean Dane because he wants him to be able to go into Winnipeg and beat them to start the season after losing the Grey Cup, right? So there's an argument that can be constructed both ways. I just believe that the one for Masoli is a little bit stronger. Masoli adds things in the run game that few other guys in the CFL do, and, and Dane Evans does not. Uh, I'm just looking, adjusted interception rate last season was equal for these guys, both at yeah. 4%. Like, you could say Masoli throws bad picks, but you have to also say Dane Evans throws bad picks too. The first pass of the Grey Cup, like oh boy, this is this was coming, and this game is what? Well, that game was over when Banks got hurt. That's a, that's another story. But yeah, to me, that's Masoli. Uh, my oh, guarantee for the I'll, Hamilton. I gotta Go say this about Banks being hurt in the Grey Cup. I will never forget this as long as I live. And it was the one moment where I was like, wow, I actually just did a good job sideline reporting. I did not know that was possible. Uh, I looked, I looked down the bench at banks after he came off and I saw him look at a trainer and amongst however many thousands of people were there at McMahon, I read Brandon banks lips 
Okay. There was this moment where there was a bunch of people wandering up and down the benches and there was a moment where it was clear and he turned and I just happened to be in the right spot. And I saw him say it popped and I read his lips. And when he went, it popped and I read his lips, I went, holy shit. And I immediately buzzed into the TSN national radio because I was doing the sidelines for the Ticats. And I said, hey, throw to me right now. And then Rod Black throws down. I said, hey, guys, Brandon Banks down here on the sidelines just came over, looked at the trainer and said, it popped. I don't think he's coming back. Guys, back to you. And I was like, whoa, that was the first time I've ever done sideline reporting where I actually wasn't like, hey, guys, well, earlier this week, I was listening to, <laughs> you know, it's like the the soft stories where you're kind of constructing them throughout the week. It's like, no, you throw that out the window and you stare at banks. And I actually got something from him from that. So anyways, that was not a, a humble brag. That was just me. I'll never forget that moment of realizing, A, the Ticats are screwed. And B, I know yeah. he's not coming back because I've never seen that look on Brandon's face. And I've never seen him say openly, yeah, th- like it broke, it popped, it, it whatever it was. He said it, and it was just gone. Yeah, and yeah, you can't you can't come back from that with all the other injuries. No. Uh, my guarantee for the Hamilton Tiger Cats is I absolutely guarantee they will have the best record in the CFL. 14 <laughs> games. I don't know how many they're going to win, but I think of it this way. Hamilton, one, looks like the best team. Two, the West looks like any one of four teams could win it. So – if the winner in the West ends up nine and five, I'm not surprised because there are some really nice teams in the West. To me, Hamilton is just, they're going to stomp. They're just going to, they have four games against the Argos. Come on. They're going to, Hamilton's going to stomp, whether it's 11, 12, 13, or I was talking to Louis B this morning. He's like, Hey, they might go 14 and 0. And I, well, that's the thing that'll keep them from winning 13 games is that they win 14 <laughs> games. Uh, Hamilton is strong in just about every position. They have depth at just about every position. They have a multitude of offensive weapons and different kinds of weapons and different kinds of elite weapons on offense. I at this moment, July 20th, pardon me, June 23rd, 2021, I have no idea what's going to stop the Hamilton Tiger Cats from having the best record in the league. I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah, I, I do wonder uh, how much the emotional toll of all those Argos games wears on them now that we've actually seen the schedule. If Because Toronto was such a mystery at this point. Like, they could come out and be this incredible passing attack with all these receivers and Arbuckle in and Dinwiddie running the show and tackling machines, the Nationals, be it Moamba or Judge at linebacker, and they got this ferocious pass rush, and they got these DBs flying around the back end. Or they could come out and just be like all the other super teams that seem to get constructed in football where somebody goes, <laughs> ah, let's smash it all together. And, oh, look, it didn't work. The chemistry wasn't there, especially coming out of a pandemic. Like, I don't care how much time you spend on Zoom. It's not it's not real until you're in the room and you're in the the film and you're working on the board and you, all those things that go into training camp. But, yeah, I mean – it's funny, DT, because I, I wish of all the different uh, training camps that I wish I could be at, Toronto's probably number one, but Hamilton's number two. And yeah. a lot of that has to do with the Masoli and Dane Evans thing. But a lot of these training camps are going to be behind closed doors because they can't allow fans in and they don't have provisions for media. And that's disappointing because there's so many good storylines going in. But Hamilton, the competitive level is going to be established. It, it would have been established if there were fans there. Because it's behind closed doors and there's no CHCH cameras and no TSN cameras at training camp, the team has exclusivity on what is allowed to be seen from training camp in terms of video and production. 
And I think there's going to be some battles behind closed doors because they know how good the roster is and they know how important this year is hosting the Great Cup in Hamilton as well. So um, that's going to be an adventure, I think, for everybody on that roster to go through that training camp. And again, what we're talking about at the start here, I wonder who gets squeezed because there is so much talent there. And if somebody's wheels aren't turning the way they used to, they, they either the team has to make a decision or that player has to make a decision. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah, if they get to the if they get to the start line with Banks, Addison, and Posey, it's over. It's, it's over in the East. It's over in the East. Uh, what do you got for Montreal? Montreal. Uh, my guarantee for the Montreal Alouettes is that William Stanback will lead the league in rushing yards, but not rushing touchdowns. Oh. Uh, Stanback over six yards a carry last season. He was 6.1, including the playoffs. Andrew Harris was 6.0, including the playoffs. Standback gets so many yards after contact. He's almost four yards uh, after contact per carry, which is a, a crazy number. He's a, such a big body. Uh, everybody, everybody here has seen him play. He's yeah. big. He's fast. He's strong. And to me, Montreal is going to need to, or at least choose to rely on that. We've talked about what, what year I think Vernon Adams is going to have regression wise I think they're going to lean on William Stanback give him a ton of carries maybe even Andrew Harris number of carries so he will lead the league in rushing yards but they're a sneak team when it gets down to the goal line so Vernon Adams may well lead the league in rushing touchdowns with all those sneaks so that is my prediction that Stanback is the monster uh, that I think he is especially if there's a bonus in Stanback's contract for touchdowns in a single season uh, <laughs> over a 14 then they might really be a sneak team and hell if there's a sneak bonus for Vernon Adams Jr that might be a Matthew Schultz quarterback sneak for all we <laughs> yeah, know exactly. so they're going to start toying I think with the uh, the numbers a little bit there but um, you almost took the words right out of my mouth on this one my one big guarantee for Montreal is Stanback leads the league in carries okay leads the league in carries and, and the yeah. reason I say that is that it's similar to what you were just talking about, but my equation for a running back to lead the league in carries is either you have to just be such a dominant force that your team cannot ignore giving you the football as much as humanly possible. And that Ding. that is Montreal. But at the same time, if the regression that you talk about with Vernon Adams Jr. happens, if the deep ball doesn't fire as much, if they are more interception prone as they should have been because you've talked previously about dropped interceptions that Vernon Adams Jr. should have thrown but were dropped by defensive backs, linebackers. Otherwise, if there's a regression in the passing game and there's a dominant running back, what do I do as an offensive coach? I lean on the running back. So for me, that's why this screams he's going to lead the league and carries more than Andrew Harris. And I also believe that when you give William Stanback the ball, he gets better as the game goes on. I saw it in the game that he had against Hamilton last uh, 2019 in week four, I think it was, when he went crazy. And unfortunately, that was the game that Sean Thomas Erlington went down because that was looking like a fantastic running back battle. But as the game went on, Percival Molson, third quarter, middle of the third quarter, end of the third quarter, he, like everybody else, was kind of wearing down and tackling that big body. And he was accelerating. He was running through guys. He was running through shoulder tackles. He was making moves in the hole. It seemed like when he gets into a rhythm where you're really feeding him the ball, and running backs always talk about that. And I think a lot of the time we take it as BS. We're like, you just want the ball because you're bored. You're tired of pass blocking. Sorry, you play in the (laughs) CFL. You're going to pass block for 60 to 70% of the snaps. But when he gets the ball more, he gets the wheels turning really, really nicely. So I actually think that not only will he lead the league in carries, I bet you he'll have two games of 200 yards or more. Like that game that he had, that game that he had against Hamilton, you might have it there week four of 2019. I believe he broke 200 
And at the end of the day, it didn't feel like he broke 200 because when he was getting the football consistently, it was probably 15 to 20 carries or more. When he was getting the ball consistently and he was going for the yards per carry average, yeah, he broke a you know a 25-yard touchdown and a 15-yard this and a 20-yard that. But really, it was eight yards a carry, it felt like, consist just chunk, 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 chunk. First down, puts you in second and two, gets the ball. Everybody's trying to tackle him before the first down marker. He runs seven yards beyond it. Well, now he's got eight yards and nine yards on back-to-back carries. If he does that type of thing and they feed him the ball enough because of the situation of their offense that we're expecting – he could definitely ring off a couple of games. You know, a random game against Ottawa where he goes for 200 and a game against a team from the West where he just goes crazy or something. So I I think he's capable of that. 22 for 203 and two touchdowns against Hamilton in uh, game number 21. So what's that, week four? Yep. Uh, Nine yards a carry. Eight yards after contact per carry that day. So... That would seem to indicate there were and, he and was hit at the line of scrimmage and went for 70 yards afterward. To put this uh, in context as well for people who think I'm an idiot for saying he can go for 200 yards twice in a single season in a 14-game schedule, he did that against yeah. Hamilton. And the reason that I say it like that is because Hamilton was better against the pass than they were against the rush in 2019 defensively. But overall, they allowed the fewest points per game in the league. It was under 20. It was 19.1 or something like that. So the idea that a single running back could go for 200 yards when everybody at Percival Molson that night, as of the middle of the first quarter, knew, oh, this is a William Stanback game. Like, he's going to win this for them if they're going to actually beat Hamilton. And Hamilton actually played pretty good offensively as well. I remember the Jalen Acklin uh, tapping his toes down in the end zone in the front corner. And, like, there was a lot of fun stuff that happened that night. But he did that to Simone. He did that to Ted Laurent. He did that to Dylan Wynn. Like that front, and I understand the offensive line has had some evolution in Montreal, but that front in 2019, he ran through it. And then he ran through people, as you say, in the yards after contact. He could absolutely do that. Uh, he also had the number six game in the CFL in 2019, 14 carries for a buck 47. It was against BC, but it was at BC. Mm. If you get 10 yards of carry a game, wh- why, why don't you have the ball more? I want to go back to that game and go, why did he not get 25 carries? Why was <laughs> it only 14 when he's ripping off 10 yards of carry? And in that game, getting almost five yards before contact, that was a, a pretty solid blocking performance wow. the, just on the base numbers from, from that one. Only had to make five guys miss tackles. That's Stanback's a monster, and he's the one. He's NFL fans. He's the Derrick Henry. Yeah, in my mind, as much as running backs make a difference, that guy absolutely makes a difference. I am very curious, Marshall Ferguson, to get your one big guarantee about the Ottawa Red Blacks because I I didn't want to do mine negatively, so I, I found something positive. <laughs> what did you have? For uh, mine Ottawa? is positive as well. Paul Apelis will return as head coach in 2022. <laughs> that's that's my one bear guarantee that's the that's the positive spin that i have on this <laughs> i didn't want to make it do a spit take but that's awesome um, so and the reason i say this is it doesn't matter what happens this year it's this is weird as hell they're coming out of a pandemic they just got matt nichols in when they thought they were going to have arbuckle jalen saunders gets in a car crash goes on the retired list they need another year for their defense to evolve, I think, because they've got a lot of young talent. They've got some futures that are they're waiting on to show up in that defense as well. So whatever happens this year in Ottawa, and I don't think it's going to be great. I don't think many people that are projecting the league think it's going to be great. But I do know that they they didn't bring Paul Lapolis in 
to give him 14 games in a pandemic shortened season and then say, mm, doesn't look like this is going to work out for us. So this yeah. is uh, this is a very sheepish one as well, because this is a lock. Like I, nothing is going to change this. And I know it. My one big guarantee, Paul Appelese, best of luck in 2021. Hope to talk to you soon. I am also excited to talk to you as the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks in 2022 and hopefully far beyond for your sake. Give him and give Benavides some talent to play with in 2022. Uh, this is what I, I didn't want to go quite with something so on the nose. I went with Ottawa's leading receiver will have the lowest yardage total of any leading receiver oh. in the CFL. Yeah. Uh, just, just because I think unlimited esteem for Lapo and, and what he can do. But I look at that receiving core and now we're down to RJ Harris and Brad Sinopoli. I, RJ Harris going to lead the team in receiving, I would wager, but you're going to have to spread it around out wide and whoever ends up taking that uh, boundary wide, wide receiver spot, they're going to have to spread it around. They're going to have to run the ball through Flanders. They're going to have to find something. Uh, Arbuckle is, uh, Arbuckle's not there. Matt Nichols, pardon me, has been in, in his time with, with Lapo, short targets, get the ball out quick, that kind yeah. of thing. So I think whatever, what's the equivalent of 700 yards, 730 yards is the leading receiver for the Ottawa Red Blacks. And it ends up being the lowest number for any lead, any team leader in the CFL. Interesting. Yeah. How great would it be too, if they just gave Brad Snopley like 150 targets, it'd just be just like, jam it in there. Yeah, why yeah. not? Just give it a, give it a shot and see how it turns out. That would be fun for a lot of us that all love Brad Snopley. But um, yeah, I think that's fair to say. And it, it actually reminds me a lot too, Derek, of seeing, uh, when I put together the usage and production chart for running backs from 2019 across the CFL, up at the top, yeah. it was like CJ Gable in Edmonton and Stanback in Montreal and John White in, in BC. And at the top of it all, it's Andrew Harris in Winnipeg. It's all these singular backs that are getting all these touches. And then there was Hamilton. And Hamilton had like five yellow dots, and they were all at the bottom of the scale. It's not that they weren't relatively productive. That they just didn't get touches. Why? Because they split it amongst Cameron Marshall, Anthony Coombs, Tyrell Sutton. Uh, I'm trying to think. Sean Thomas Arlington at the start of the year. I got Jalen Addison did yeah, some running. Back. Yeah, Addison got touches in the run game too. So, uh, of all those things added together, meant that they were just all at the bottom because none of them had a chance to pull away. And like you're saying, they're going to have to spread it around. And I, the thing that I'm I'm low key excited about that I hope other fans in the CFL are as well. We come in here and we, and we talk on this podcast and on your radio show. And I know when I was doing my radio show, I would always, you know, these are the things that I know. These are the things that I feel very comfortable about saying. But the joy of the CFL a lot of the time, and I, I always have to remind my co-host Kyle Mello of this too on Marshmallow on Fridays because he'll say, you know, oh, that guy's gone and nobody's ever going to play that position or nobody's going to be that way. There are people that you can say that about where you can go, you know what, that's, that's probably never going to happen again. But when I see a receiver like Jalen Saunders go down. My first thought is obviously, damn, I hope that guy's okay. The second thought is, did that just open the door to a BJ Cunningham who I know nothing about? Does that open the door to, uh, you know, a Devere Posey who I have to get introduced to. And then I learn their history a little bit. And then I go, wow, yeah, yeah. that guy's really, we learn a lot about players when there are opportunities and Ottawa if Marcel Desjardins, and let's be real about this too, Marcel is on the hot seat from the last couple of years. If Marcel has done a good enough job and his, his staff have done a good enough job of finding talent, Ottawa can give us a lot of new names in the CFL that we are not familiar with that might emerge as being really good players. 
because they just they, there's not a lot expected of them. And if they come into their own, sure, they can win whatever amount of games, you know, in and around 500 is probably the top end of, of what they're looking at based on the schedule and how kind of established other teams are. But when I see the way that, that they have the holes all over the place that they're trying to, to figure out, yeah, it's, they're going to need to get some production from some different receivers. Cause I don't think there's a singular guy, like a, a Burnham Ellingson banks, otherwise that they can lean on and just go ahead with. Yeah. Raphael Arujo Lopes. Come on down. <laughs> it's, it's your time. I heard about yeah. you to start 2019. Uh, it's your time. I'm curious, Marshall, your, one big guarantee about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Sasky, uh, be for, judged. Yeah, for, for Jardo, uh, ups his short and intermediate passing attack. And the reason that I say this nice. is I've, I've been a believer in Jason Moss for a long time. I know that people make fun of the Gatorade throw and all of these other things. That, but when it comes to coaching quarterbacking in the Canadian Football League, the guy just straight up knows what he's doing. Like, And he's he's got concepts that he understands. And I would imagine that there has been a breath of fresh oxygen into Jason Moss's coaching career here by going to Saskatchewan because he knows how crazy it is and he knows the passion. And he knows how he's going to be judged. I would imagine that this is a, a moment of motivation for him where he's saying, I got all this stuff and I get to apply it to something as malleable as Cody Fajardo. Like I get to create kind of what Cody yeah. is really truly, because let's be real about this being so run heavy on first down, like they were with Steven McAdoo as the OC you do that. And yes, he flourishes and he becomes the player that he was in 2019. And, but I think the real Cody Fajardo, the one that will become known as the CFL Cody Fajardo going, because he was more of a, a, an NCAA style quarterback in his first real true year starting. I think you're going to see the progression now into professional football passer which is different than professional football quarterback. Cause you can be a runner. You can be a pass. You can be a mix. You can, yes, he's going to run around a little bit. Yes. He's going to use his athleticism. Yes. They'll design all sorts of different QB run for him. But in terms of short and intermediate passing game and using progressions to get through reads and trusting your footwork and putting the ball on target all the time, Nick Arbuckle and Dane Evans, basically in 2019 were the guys that were the most accurate under a certain distance down the field. I know you said today on the sports cage, when I brought this up that you had Trevor Harris as the most efficient basically is the low ball passer, pa rating, passer, yeah. passer rating. Yeah. And it's, that is spot on. And I think that if you can get Moss to apply some of that Trevor Harris Ness, bring it to Fajardo and apply it to the receivers that he has around him, there's the potential for something really, really solid there because he's got that, that Arbuckle Dane Evans, take care of the ball under a certain distance, be pinpoint. But now he's going to get these foolproof concepts that are passing concepts that are tried and true through decades in the CFL and that's going to make him significantly better. So my guarantee for Saskatchewan is that his short and intermediate passing game will directly benefit from having Jason Moss. I love it. And I take that and I combine it with something head coach Craig Dickinson said last week when he said Jason Moss will use Cody more in the run game. I went, oh, one. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> so that leads me to I guarantee Cody Fajardo will have the equivalent of a 5,000-1,000 season. 5,000 wow. yards passing, 1,000 yards rushing, which wow. I numbered it out for a 14-game season is 38-88 passing and 777 rushing. He's going to do it. He His deep ball numbers were tops in the league. They probably come back to earth a little bit because deep ball is not consistent really year to year, at least not at the level that he did, whereas – Passer rating was was 110. That doesn't continue to happen. 
but running the ball consistent. Yeah, like you said, if they focus on that short and intermediate stuff and all, all of a sudden Kyron Moore gets 60 yards after the catch. Oh, oh, by the way, Shaq Evans is a monster. Jordan Williams Lambert can really make some catches in tough spots. And they're going to Mike Jones style from a couple of years ago. They're going to bust Justin McKinnis free from that field wide receiver spot. And he's house calling it from their own 25 equivalent of 5,000, 1,000 from Cody Fajardo this year. How are we going to uh, to prorate? Is that the right term? Like, how are we going to extract? Are you yeah. you are, you already have calculators set up on everything to tell people projections the entire year on where they would be heading during a normal year? Oh no, no, I just took <laughs> I just took fifth, fifth, uh, pardon me five thousand divided by eighteen games times fourteen games gives me thirty eight eighty eight for the season. So okay. Fajardo will throw for thirty eight eighty eight and run for seven seventy seven. But just let's just think of it as five thousand one thousand. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. That's uh, that'll be a fun one to keep track of. What do you got for Toronto there, DT? This is the one that's going to come back to bite me in the butt, or I will parade it around every town I visit calling CFL games <laughs> this year. Charleston Hughes and Cordero law will finish number one and number two in sacks in the CFL this year. Oh man. I love it. Right. I, I love it. Right. It's, it's very bold. Charleston was number one in the league in sacks last year and i look at that toronto roster and look at that toronto defense uh those two guys starting at the end spot i don't know how many they can keep behind them uh of these guys whose names we know either from the cfl odell willis or the or the nfl but i look at help in the middle in drake nevis and then the canadian uh whoever they throw in there but i look at this and go if i'm devising a defense and i have enoch Mwamba and cam judge two guys who can run everywhere and get to get to the ball carrier. You know what I want to do? I'm going to absolutely unleash my defensive ends, who I both know can murder quarterbacks. Uh, Charleston murders quarterbacks. Cordero Law can murder quarterbacks. And I want those two just running wild after QBs this season. I want them surfing, snowboarding, dancing, whatever. Cordero, if Cordero wants to pull back the Craig Road death blow <laughs> chop, whatever celebration. I want that to happen for Toronto so bad because I think they can cover for it in other spots. So one, two in sacks, Charleston and Cordero, write it down. Uh, I, I love it because I think of Jaguar Davis. I think of Willie Jefferson. I think of uh, even Jackson Jeffco being in the hunt for all those things. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely plausible. I also, as soon as you start talking about them flying up the field and getting after, I'm like, is Toronto going to give up the most rushing yards per game in the league? Because if they're, if they're going to be flying up the field, then teams are going to just go, okay, we're tired of those guys murdering us. Let's go ahead and just pop a little inside shovel here to a slot back and have them turn up. Let's release the center and the guard and go get Muamba and judge and then try to get to the second level type stuff. Right. So most that's, outstanding Canadians are waiting to, to I know. eat that stuff up. If Granted, honestly, missing tackles is a thing. But, if, yeah. but if they design a defensive system around defensive ends flying up the field and funneling everything into the middle tier linebackers, you're macking your well there, then yeah, they, they could absolutely create some havoc. It's um, again, part of the intrigue of this that we're not going to know because we don't have preseason games to even see the base format of it is we don't really know how these teams are going to structure. We all think that we know. Like I think Dinwiddie's going to look a hell of a lot like he, the Calgary offense did when they play against Calgary week one. I think mm. Lapo's going to look a hell of a lot like Winnipeg when we saw them in the Grey Cup in 2019. Do I know either of those for sure? Absolutely not. Like Lapo might show up and play five wide the whole game and go, you know, five, six wide with a tight end instead of having Flanders back there for all I know. So, um, you know, we'll see how this stuff shakes out. But yeah, they could get after it. For me, for Toronto, 
my prediction is that McLeod Bethel Thompson plays in a game before week six. And I'm not talking garbage time. Uh, I'm saying that he I gets, like he like gets an opportunity. I think, and it might, I, I don't think it's permanent. Okay. So my guarantee for the Argonauts here is McLeod Bethel Thompson gets it a game before week six. And it's not because Arbuckle is a complete disaster. It's not because the wheels have fallen off and he can't play the game and they got to get him out of there. And McLeod, the job is yours and run with it. I think there might be either a second half or uh, maybe even a start of a game where they say, we want Nick to take a step back here and actually see the game because there's a lot happening real quick in a weird year without as much on-field prep as we would usually like. So um, Mm. I, I don't know what the circumstances exactly will be, but I think McLeod is there and he'll get an opportunity by week six. And then I think Arbuckle does become the consistent on-field guy. I, honestly, we talked about this at length when McLeod signed back with the Argonauts. He's got the ability. They know that. And how much time does Nick get to really figure it out and be productive? If they lose a couple of games to start the year, McLeod might just get a start. But the thing is, too, if you put in the backup quarterback, and this is what the bad equation was in Ottawa in 2019, if you put in the backup like Jonathan Jennings was for the Red Blacks, and he throws two picks, well, then you go back to the starter. And then all of a sudden you're just flip-flopping like you're Kevin Glenn and Brandon Bridge in an Eastern final in 2018. Like you're just randomly throwing people back and forth because Chris Jones just wasn't happy because now KG didn't make it. Oh, Brandon sporadic us. And it's like, okay, let's just, let's find a middle road and go with it. But I think Toronto will do a bit of that, not back and forth, but they'll probably take a step back at some point early in the season for whatever reason it ends up being. Yeah. I I honestly wanted my guarantee to be that, uh, MBT would lead the Argos in passing, but I thought, ah, Oof. 14 games and the starting quarterback and the coach know each other from a previous stop. That one seemed a little too bold, but I, I mean, we've talked about my esteem for MBT. We talked, we had a podcast about how yes. much we like McLeod Bethel Thompson. So uh, I, I'm with you that he's absolutely going to get some play uh, yeah. this season. All right. The 2019 Grey Cup champions, as there is no reigning Grey Cup champion, I keep saying on Saskatchewan radio, the <laughs> Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Marshall, what's your what's your thought for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Zach Kalaros will retire before the season. No, I'm just kidding. Because um, <laughs> oh, I, I, no. I, I threw that one at you at the start of things. But um, I believe that Zach will be what he was to end and this this might seem like it. you're telling me your guarantee as a guy is going to be who he was the last time we saw him play wow really bold congratulations uh but what i'm saying here is zach Kalaros filled a need that winnipeg had that i'm not even sure matt nichols could have filled to be honest with you by the end of that 2019 regular season and the three-game playoff stretch chris traveler obviously wasn't that guy not that style of player wasn't the right fit to give them what they needed. He was great at what he did. He was unbelievable as the number two coming in the playoffs and running all over Calgary. Yeah, it was amazing to watch. But Zach at the end of the season was two very specific things. He was an extremely high quality underneath passer who knew exactly where his checkdowns were. He knew where Andrew was. He knew where the little crossing routes were. He knew how to operate the offense. And that was with basically no time. The second thing that he was, Zach knows, as well as anybody, I believe, including Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell, all these quarterbacks that we talk about in all these flowery terms, Zach knows as well as any quarterback on second down how to kill you. And I don't mean kill you for a gain of nine on second and eight. I'm talking he will do the thing that you don't expect where he rolls 15 yards to his right and throws a 40-yard bomb down the sideline that makes you go, whoa, that looks like 2015 Zach Laros. 
So if he continues yeah. those two things, because what he did in that playoff run, yeah, the great cup, no vertical passing, didn't really push the ball much. And, but in those other playoff games, he only threw the ball deep, what, four or five times. He hit on most, if not all of them. Like it was a st- absurd percentage of effectiveness when he decided to push the ball vertically. So I think what he is at this point in Winnipeg with Andrew Harris, depending on what Buck Pierce decides to do with Andrew Harris and that style, I think what he's going to be is an extremely high efficiency passer that will challenge Trevor Harris for the, the king of the, the kind of what we're talking about with Cody Fajardo in the short and intermediate passing marks. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think he'll be that. And I think he'll be really efficient when he pushes the ball vertically, because that's what he was in 2019. And I believe that's what Zach Kolaris will be for Winnipeg in 2021. I hope the loss of Bryant Mitchell or the never getting Bryant Mitchell doesn't hurt that too mm-hmm. badly. Uh, I, and I hope if Darvin Adams is healthy, Oh, push, push, baby. Uh, I, I feel like I'm on an Island with my Darvin Adams love. <laughs> I, I have to couch this one correctly. My one big guarantee for Winnipeg, because I think Justin Medlock is the best kicker in the history of the CFL. And it seems like he's retired and they're going to the youngster, Mark Leggio. I think Winnipeg's offense improves because they will not have Justin Medlock on their team. Ah. Medlock had nine attempts over 50 yards last season. Guys, pretend Medlock's still in the league. All the kickers still in the league. Medlock has about three times as many 50-plus yards attempts as the next most in the league, right? You, You see it watching the games. They, they can treat offense differently because Justin Medlock can rein it in from 57 and, Oh, you know what? We need it. We need a field goal from 63. You know what? Let's send Justin out because why not? It's friggin' Justin Medlock. So uh, the problem, well, the problem, and it's not probably maybe a nice problem to have is when you get toward the edge of his field goal range and you get into that 50 yard field goal range, you start to go, Oh, you know what? We got this in our pocket. If you don't have it in your pocket, you have to get more aggressive. And I love the thought that it would get more aggressive around the other team's 45 yard line. And to me, that is just a recipe for success because now Zach is second and eight. We're not going to be conservative. We're going to go after it. Oh, it's second and 10. We don't have to just give up and give Justin a field goal attempt. We're going to hammer the ball down the field. And I love the thought of that. I think aggression wins in football. I think aggression in the passing game if you're if you're third and 22 you kick a field goal but if you're third and two you go for it if you're second and eight try to get the first down try to keep this going I think that's what happens with Winnipeg's offense and and I think independent of the Matt Nichols to Zach Calero switch I think just not having an unbelievable resource like Justin Medlock will pay big dividends for how Winnipeg attacks offensively. And when I talk about Claros being a killer as well, like that extends to third down. I know I say on second down that he knows how to beat you, but he'll, he'll take a third and two. The guy's got stones. He's been around. He's seen it all. <laughs> yeah, he does. And he'll take a yep. third and two and he'll throw it 35 yards down the sideline. If he, like he will do some of that stuff that it's a little bit of hero ball, but it never comes off as hero ball because he's always just got that very straight, direct Zach Claros Greek guy look into your eyes where it's like, what? just what I do. I'm a court. Like, this is what I do. I've he's just, he's so calm all the time that yeah, they'll give him, I think more leash than you would have gotten from the other quarterbacks in 2019 for sure. So uh, there we go. 18 guarantees 
that are sure to be all 100% correct as we love throwing percentages Guaranteed. at you here on the breakdown. So uh, I, I want I, Argos fans to remember me when, when Charleston and Cordero finish <laughs> one, two, if they go two one and you want to give me that uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. If this is a, not an exactor, but the parlay or whatever the horse racing one is where you can pick them in either way. I want that one. That's what uh, I want for that. You are going to have your DMS full of all your DN buddies. Uh, and they're going to be crushing you on that one. So I, I hope that you enjoy responding Bring to those it. messages respectfully, because I, I foresee a Sean lemon in your DMS. Uh, I foresee uh, some other people that you have praised in the past. Uh, Willie's not really a DM guy, is he? I think, I don't think so. I think, I think <laughs> Willie just goes, I, I'm the man and you can all come to me. Bring the, bring the mountain to Muhammad is kind of the thing with Willie, I think, because he deserves it. I don't know if that's how he is, but if yeah. it is, he deserves that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, if Willie uh, has any problems with anybody, I think he just slaps on the big old championship belt that has the big W on it. And he reminds you how good he is. Plus if we ever sent Willie a DM, he would just knock it down because that's what he does. I mean, <laughs> CFL record for DMs knocked down the season, right? <laughs> uh, it's so good. Uh, thank it. you. Thank you, as always, for checking in with us here on The Breakdown. It's going to do it for this week. At DT on SC is where you can find Derek. He's got Sports Cage going. Uh, as always, I'm sure you got uh, you got suits coming in. What do you got, Farhan, this week? There's lots of stuff going on across the league that you guys are covering. You got you had a ton of people that were lined up as guests on Tuesday with your show, too. Yeah, we had a ton of CFL guests. Uh, Chad Jeter recently retired. Derek Dennis not retired, but not playing this season. Uh, Rash Madani loves talking CFL. Farhan on Wednesdays, Suits on Monday and Thursdays, Luke Mollander Mondays and Fridays. I, I wondered today, do we have too much CFL? And then I thought, <laughs> no, that's a dumb thing to worry about. You can talk about the hockey game another time. Yeah, yeah, it is loaded. I love what you guys do out there with your show. So against the Sports Cage, if one of people want to follow you against 620CKRM and at Sports Cage and at DT on SC, uh, you don't need my social. Just go to at CF Perspective. That's where you can find us. And thank you to Fox oh. 40, as always, for helping us out to bring you the podcast here. 15% off all your return to play whistle needs. Visit fox40shop.com and enter the promo code CFP15. And of course, don't forget our good friends at Sawdust City Brewing. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with them. We got a deep, I was actually talking with Sam Corbett about this last week. We got a deep catalog of tastings that are up there now on our YouTube page. We're getting to the point where we can basically send out our YouTube page and say, hey, if you're ever interested in buying a Sada City beer, listen to the guy who made it break it down for you because we've got 15, 20 minute videos on just about all of them, which is fantastic. So uh, if you want to try all sorts of different stuff from Sada City, they got something for absolutely everybody. Go to their website as well, sadacitybeer.com. Shop their wide variety of brews and learn more there and use the promo code CFL. We've switched up CFL for you. Again, is that promo code to receive free shipping on first orders over $100 available to Ontario residents only. Must be of legal drinking age. And I'm trying to twist Sada City's arm into creating a limited uh, release, small batch, gray cup beer, uh, which they, they might actually be able to create i don't know if they're legally allowed to call it a gray cup ipa uh by sada city but they are endeavoring to try to figure out what to do for a gray cup beverage that they can bring down to hamilton and have in kegs and we can take over a bar assuming we're all allowed in bars by that point we can do a trivia night we can do a hangout we can throw a bunch of cfp swag to you guys and we can all enjoy the gray cup whatever that they make for us so uh sam is uh he's pondering that as we speak so we'll see where that all goes but that's for further, further down the road. For now, we continue to set you up on the 2021 CFL season across Canadian football perspective. Thanks for being with us. And don't forget, Connor and Wade coming up on Thursday, myself and Kyle Mello on Friday. 
as we'll uh, wind down the week and have some fun with you, play some of our favorite sound clips of the week and discuss betting. Uh, it's a thing. Uh, Bill C2118 yes. ends up getting past there. And so we'll discuss a bunch of that as well coming up on Friday. Thanks for tuning into the breakdown. Thanks to DT as always. And we'll talk to you right here on the breakdown next Wednesday.